Hey, everybody. Welcome to the I Can't Help You podcast here in beautiful Coldbow, Boulder, Colorado. This is October 30th, and I am thrilled to have in the studio here with us Nick. And uh, Nick has been working at AIM House for a little while in AIM Health. And uh, Nick received his undergraduate degree in evolutionary biology and ecology from the University of Colorado Boulder, go Buffs, where he was a <laughs> burst BSI scholar. He holds a master's in clinical mental health counseling from the University of Denver with a focus on addiction. He trained as a psychedelic assisted therapy practitioner through the Integrated Psychiatry Institute and currently focuses on ketamine assisted psychotherapy and director of psychedelic services at AIM Health. He is also a veteran of U.S. Navy and a yoga instructor. As a counselor, he has worked with many ages and backgrounds for the last six years. He has specific experience with young adults in transition, addiction counseling, neurodivergent individuals, and teaching yoga to underprivileged populations. Prior to AIM Health, he worked within the Colorado Special Courts, helping run the RISE curriculum within the Denver County Jail. Nick is oriented towards an existential and humanistic approach toward counseling, along with psychedelic therapy. He's an avid bird watcher. We're going to talk a little bit about that. <laughs> and his favorite bird is the Swainson, right? Swainson's thrush. Swainson's thrush. He spends much of his time with his wife and their newborn son and two cats. Welcome, welcome, Nick. Thank you, Danny. Glad to have you here. Yeah, pleasure to be here. You mentioned you were a little nervous coming into it. This of is course. your first podcast ever? Um, yeah, I would say this is my first real life serious podcast. Sit down, do the business. Do the business. Yeah. yeah. So this is the other ones were like warm up podcasts. Yeah, best. they were like practicing or uh, I had a couple where my friends and I wanted to do a men's only podcast. Ah. So we would set up a microphone with the phone and we would sit around and talk about nonsense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think. As uh, men will. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome. It's I'm glad that you're here. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's always a little bit interesting when I'm interviewing somebody that I know a little bit or I've worked with a little bit. So yeah. full disclosure, as you guys will probably tell, Nick and I have worked together over the past couple of years. Um, the thing that drew me to Nick was how diverse his background was. I remember looking through resumes specifically before I gave you a call when I was going camping with my son. Remember? That was a good time. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I was, I was looking over and I thought, my, my gosh, this guy's a veteran, you know, um, he's had an unbelievable amount of schooling and for a young guy, he's worked in a lot of really cool places. Mm. And there was something about Navy and yoga that was just like, wow, this is really cool. This must be a, a, somebody who's interested in a lot of different things. Then I came to learn about your bird watching and all these other cool things that you do. So uh, it's just, I mean, it's great to have you on here. And we're going to talk a little bit today about uh, what your experience has been in general, uh, kind of uh, as somebody who's been an up and coming practitioner in the area and your work with us at AIM. Uh, but what everybody really wants to talk about and hear about is psychedelic therapy, right? Sure. So this will be the first time that I've really kind of delved into it. Um, and, uh, you know, as many of you know, AIM Health is uh, providing psychedelic services for appropriate clients. And we're going to talk about that, too. This mm -hmm. is not... Uh, one size fits all. We're not of the belief that, oh, just need to dose everybody and the whole world's going to be okay. Um, but for some people, it can be unbelievably effective and, and helpful as a tool right, mm -hmm. in, in, in our growth and development. So what brought you, first of all, into psychedelic therapy? What, what was your first, you know, how did, how did you come to want to practice this and learn more about it? What a broad question. Um, yeah, thanks again, Danny, for kind of just bringing me into the fold and also giving me all those highlights and um, yeah, all the positive talk. I really appreciate that. You bet. Um, 
Yeah, I think what really got me into psychedelics was my own experiences, you know, to be candid. Um, over the last, I'd say, four or five years, uh, especially coming out of the military and using it as my own tool, um, it really helped me kind of eliminate a lot of the negative thoughts I had about myself, a, a lot of the negative thoughts I had about the world. Um, as I came out of that experience, so as I transitioned, you know, going into therapy, coming out of school, we didn't really talk much about psychedelics. In fact, um, it wasn't even taught at my master's program at DU. Um, and then I got into the yoga lifestyle a little bit more. I started meeting practitioners underground um, because we hadn't yet passed Prop 122. We hadn't done any of the legislature work that was needed in the state to be able to come to the surface and talk about it more. Um, and after meeting these practitioners, I started getting into groups. I started getting into, um, more of like a, a community that was doing psychedelics in a very healthy and intentional way. Um, and then once it started to kind of come up and out into the surface and people started talking about it in our field more, I found that it was time for me to get more schooling, get more education and really, um, make myself competent in order to give this gift to a lot of people. So it's been about three, four years now that I've had my own experiences and started practicing as a practitioner. And then most recently finishing my program, becoming certified, um, and ultimately bringing it to AIM Health. Awesome. Thank you. And what about the experience, you know, only reveal whatever you want to, of course, obviously, yeah. but what about the experience? You said something that's really important that I mean, you're saying you had more confidence and less negative self-talk. Yeah. Um, yeah. What happened? Why do you think that that's the case? Well, you know, in the military, you, you kind of have this very specific worldview in terms of, you know, there's a lot of high competition. There's a lot of um, me versus them mentality, my team versus the world. And you start to develop almost like a, almost like an aversion to other people, an aversion mm. to people that haven't maybe been in the military and experienced what you've experienced. And then I came out of it with a big chip on my shoulder. Uh, I felt like I had gone through all this stuff. I had no way to discharge that energy. Um, and yeah, it started really kind of like pointing the arrow inward and saying, well, there's something wrong with you. Mm. There's something wrong with, maybe you should have made this, this decision. Maybe you shouldn't have gone on deployment. Maybe you could have gone on another path and somehow I'm like tainted or there's something mm. wrong with kind of damaged. Yeah. Damaged goods. Yeah. In another yeah, way to yeah, put yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was really hard to shake. Um, I did it primarily through yoga until I found myself in positions to do psychedelics healthily. Um, but yeah, it's still, I think an area of work, but for the most part has kind of alleviated itself. And a lot of that was, was helped by just engaging with community and resetting that, you know, in, in the field now, we call it the default mode network, right? Like that pathway that I had created for myself that was very uh, just self-deprecating. Mm -hmm. And is that, I know psychedelics do a lot of different things, but is that essentially what you see happen when done responsibly and when done therapeutically is that people get a different perception of self or maybe just have more space. What, what, what do you see? What, what do you see while you're working with other people? You did a great description for yourself, but what yeah, do you yeah. see with, you know, in your trainings and stuff and in the experiences that you've had, talk a little bit about what you see it do for clients and, 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 and maybe a little bit about like what clients are appropriate for psychedelic therapy. Sure. 
Um, I would say in my experiences with individuals, it's really dependent on the medication or the medicine that we're using. Um, you know, there's a very different, um, effects of ketamine versus say psilocybin mushrooms. Um, so I'll speak specifically about ketamine because that's what we're giving, uh, here at AIM Health. Ketamine in particular has the ability to kind of just give people a different perspective. You know, I was thinking on my drive in of a metaphor I could use, Mm. which would be, um, you know, almost kind of bringing back to my example, you have this default mode network, this path that you've taken every single day for a period of time. And maybe it's not the best path up the mountain, but that's the path that you're deciding to take. Um, and only once you kind of come up and get a perspective, almost like a drone, mm. you're able to look and kind of come up and look all around the mountain and see, well, maybe that's actually not the path I want to take. Mm. And then what ketamine's really great at doing is kind of creating a mudslide, right? So it messes things up. It kind of jumbles a little bit, which might be a little bit challenging or even scary. Um, but with the right amount of support around you, that mudslide can actually be uh, a very freeing process. And then it allows you to take that drone perspective and maybe find a new path mm. or maybe construct some other way up the mountain. Mm. And so when we're working, you know, on the ground with people, what that looks like, I think, is, um, you know, individuals, when they come in, they get a workbook. So there's very intentional language. There's very intentional questioning that we give to people to say, OK, why are you here? What's your experience? What do you want to get out of this? Um you know, how can we help you with your set and your setting and make this the best experience? We usually start very low with someone in terms of dosage. We go very slow and we allow them to kind of get um, the power in the situation. You know, they can dictate if they want to go up or down. They can dictate um, what they want to talk about, what they want to focus on. And for the most part, we've seen some pretty positive effects. I mean, there are definitely some challenging experiences. I would say in someone's course of treatment, they'll have at least one or two times where they come out and things are a bit jumbled. They've had that mudslide experience and they're really trying to figure out how to integrate it properly. Um, But on the whole, I would say the ability for people that are chronically depressed, anxious, or traumatized to come up and out and, you know, for lack of a better term, dissociate from that path mm-hmm. for a while is very very helpful um and that's kind of what you refer to as the mudslide sort of the the loosening of the tightness or the the stuckness maybe yeah is that one way of kind of viewing it um and, and, and talk a little bit if you don't mind about the default moat network i think that's really fascinating Let's talk talk a little bit about that sure so there's kind of a positive and negative view of it and what i mean by that is the default mode network as it's explained in the literature is kind of like the the daydreaming aspect of the human um existence so when we're not engaged on the computer when we're not watching a movie talking to someone it's kind of that daydream apparatus that kicks in so all of the things that you think about when your brain's not fully engaged in something the default mode network is also connected to your nervous system, right? So we have kind of this this background um, movement of energy through our body. And so if I have a very, quote, positive default mode network, I'm not really anxious about anything. I'm not really frustrated about anything. Well, then I can sit and daydream and kind of just maybe even meditate or have a micro uh, daydream. But, you know, on the flip side, if I'm a person who's experienced trauma, if I'm chronically depressed, if I'm anxious, if things are bothering me all the time, the minute that I'm stopped engaging with things, um, I'm not on the computer, I'm not at work, I go home, I sit down, my default mode network kicks in and here I am re-experiencing trauma. I'm re-experiencing all those negative pathways and cognitions. Uh, I'm feeling very anxious. I'm feeling very depressed. And then what do I go to? Well, I go to 
um, certain behaviors that I can use to d suppress that or pull myself up out of that network, right? Which is where we kind of get into a conversation about addictions and as a caveat, why these psychedelics are so helpful with addictions. Um, but to kind of bring it back, that's the default mode network, right? It's just this underlying um, circuitry that's operating when we're, when we're at rest. Yeah. And yeah. for some individuals that that operation is actually really painful. Yeah, for sure. Um, while we're on that topic, let, let's go right to that addiction and psychedelics, because um, I've been in and around recovery for a long time. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, kind of first got introduced into the world of, of recovery, like in the eighties, like the late eighties. Right. And um, so I know in traditional recovery, even in the 12 step rooms and something, there's a, there, there is a fear or scuttlebutt, or you hear people talk about, wait a minute, you're having people use drugs to get off drugs. And then, and then they have, you know, maybe their association of, you know, eating some mushrooms and seeing the Grateful Dead in the early nineties or something, or, mm -hmm. or, you know, people have a marked different experience usually if taken in a recreational quote unquote setting versus a therapeutic setting. Mm -hmm. So could we talk a little bit about that, about why it has been helpful in any research you've been able to gain or learn about why psychedelics are in particular helpful with addiction? Well, I will express my, my opinion, my bias. I think is that I think chronic long-term addiction usually comes from a place of deep pain and unsettling you know, kind of like we just talked about with the default mode network. And I think that if that's why someone is using substances, that um, that's kind of the, the mindless behavioral operation. And that's something that I think is really helpful with psychedelics, right? Because we're talking about not, quote, curing, but aiding the alleviation of anxiety, depression, trauma, um, even a spiritual awakening that, that some people have have maybe lost, you know, they've lost a direction, a meaning, a purpose. And so I think that's maybe the, the more kind of psychedelic kind of cognitive area when we talk about uh, what's maybe changing. And then biologically, um, what we also see is when people take psychedelics, ketamine and also psilocybin, there's a lot of research to show that it decreases uh, cravings for alcohol in particular, but also other drugs. Um, and partially it seems that well, well, how I've explained it to people is it's kind of like if you take a snow globe and you shake it up yeah. and the pieces land in a different spot, yeah. but it, that's all still your mind, but it's like it lands in a different spot. That's one. Or Etch-a-Sketch. Remember the Etch-a-Sketches, right? Yeah. <laughs> you have all this sort of written stuff on an Etch-a-Sketch and you shake it up and then it becomes like a blank slate. My experience with psychedelics and what I've heard from other people is that somehow through going through the experience with intentionality, you get a little bit more space. Mm -hmm. Like you were just talking about that sort of higher view for real, right? Because you uh, suddenly the ego seems to kind of dissipate and perception opens up in a way. And then the experience itself can be really bizarre in different images, yeah. different types of things that happen, <laughs> you know, kind of like, ah, well, why am I in this movie? What's going on? But that if people can breathe through those experiences, there's sometimes oftentimes symbology to whatever is going on and sometimes not. But what happens, it seems, is people get a little more space. Mm -hmm. They get just a little bit more, and some people a lot more, uh, space between this sort of stuck feeling of I don't know what's going on on one continuum and, I, and, 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 a, and a depression and anxiety that, and restriction that comes with it to a more open stance and view. And somehow the medicine seems very, very 
very useful at doing that when there's proper intention, right? Um, and support and structure. Because otherwise, you know, you can see people and, and I've had, I did psychedelics once, I had a bad trip, it was horrible, I never want to do it again. Uh, and they might have just needed somebody to hold their hand and say, breathe. Totally. <laughs> you know, yeah. like this, and, and to be prepared for it. You may in fact have some very unpleasant feelings or experiences or images or everything, but just hang in there and that more will be revealed sort of over the course of time. Is that is that sort of the idea behind it? Is that we, we through going through this experience, we're able to gain some symbology and sort of shrink the ego, but we're also able to, you know, etch a sketch the brain enough to be able to have a new canvas to work with a little bit. Yeah, I like that analogy a lot. It's funny because there's actually a big canvas in this room. There's a bunch of them, yeah. It's very And Leonard random. Cohen. Leonard Cohen's over there. Okay. Something tells me he... I actually know for a fact. Well, not for a fact. <laughs> I heard him talk about that on a documentary once, but... Shout out. Yeah, shout out, shout out to Leonard. <laughs> Rest in peace, my man. Um, but yeah, so can you talk a little bit about... Uh, what what the offerings are and sort of how this sort of interfaces with with aim in general and like who's appropriate for psychedelic therapy and who might not be. Totally. Can I can I backtrack for sure, a second of course. though, Dan? Um, one of the things I like to highlight a lot, especially when it comes to addiction work, and those of you that are counselors or you know, Danny, I know that you've had a lot of training. Motivational interviewing, right, really focuses on the courageousness and kind of the the values mm. that are underlying someone's experience. And what I've noticed is that even if someone has a challenging experience or it's random or, you know, it doesn't quite make sense right away, it's actually a really good place where we can kind of hone in and say, and at the back end, how did you get through that experience, right? Sometimes mm. people have such a challenging experience, they've they've met death, they've been on death's door, they've re-experienced a trauma, and yet here they are, they came back on the other side, mm. right? And so just highlighting that for people I think sometimes is helpful. Yeah, and, and, and also sort of the thing of like, at the very least, you got to admit, it's super interesting that the trauma or the loss or the near-death experience or whatever these kinds of things that they come up, yeah. the minute our conscious brain sort of takes a back seat mm-hmm. and allows for something else to happen. So what I like to say to people is like, you know, that was there before it came out. You're living with this trauma, right? This anxiety, these, and a lot of people, I know myself included, there was trauma that was revealed to them on psychedelics. You know, some things that happened to me as a kid long time ago when I took ayahuasca, it was like, oh my God. Like, whoa, like, is this true? Is this, you know, all the same things that come up for people when they start to have memories. Stuff that was suppressed. Yeah. Yeah. And stuff that was really suppressed. And so you, 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 your initial reaction is, oh my God, the drug, but then as you piece things together, you know, this is true. You can feel it in your body. You know, you start to remember, you look at different pieces. And so for me personally, that was like excruciating at the time and really scary. But very quickly afterwards, I quit drinking and I, my life started to change much for the better. And I began to work with that trauma and talk about it to the point now where I can talk about it very openly and it's okay. Of course, this is you know 12 years later, right? And, uh, but for me, I can say that psychedelics were an amazing tool, absolutely. Um, but I had to keep working on myself, right? It wasn't about staying in that state of mind. And it's almost impossible. You can't sustain that it's, side of mind. You can eat mushrooms chaotic. every day. You're not gonna, you're not gonna have the same effect, right? It'll right. just go. <clears throat> but <clears throat> excuse me. Just the thought of eating mushrooms every day kind of maybe. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. pretty dry. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. Uh, any thoughts about that or it sounds like, you know, to use the analogy that you said, it's like the lid, right? And we were talking about addictions. It seems like the lid that you were putting on these repressed memories was, if, 
if I'm correct, your substance use and maybe other behaviors yeah. that were difficult. And behaviors I couldn't understand. Like, why am I doing certain things and I don't understand that we're violating my values and not being the person I wanted to be? Yeah. And really stuck, like really not getting it. Like thinking there was like a bad Danny and a good Danny, you know what I mean? Instead of like, there's one Danny, but the bad Danny I was trying to dissociate from completely. And what I saw through therapy and over time was that actually even the acting out was trying to let the lid off so that this kind of kid inside me could, could say, be. hey, this really shitty stuff happened. Would you please pay attention to it? You yeah. Know? Yeah, it almost sounds like um, we use internal family systems quite a bit, um, which I'm sure you're aware of. So you have the self and then all these other parts. It sounds like you know that part was really trying to get your attention, but the way that you were interacting with it was just causing a lot of chaos. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and that's why I say to a lot of people is that uh, when you're stuck in behaviors that you really can't talk your way through or understand, because I was in therapy, you know, I, I was in therapy talking about this stuff just never came up. Yeah. And it took that kind of a snow globe or a thing for it to be able to, but the support that I was able to receive afterwards was everything, Yeah, you know, and, and being able to continue and talk about it and do more work and peel away different layers to the point where I was, you know, comfortable with the fact that that was something that happened to me mm-hmm. and that that doesn't mean that that's who I am, you know, and all sorts of other things, you know, so I can, I can, I cannot have, I can have blinds down now. You know, when I was younger, I couldn't even have blinds down. It would freak me out. And everybody'd be like, why does that freak you out? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to go into the details, but sure. the situation made it so that, you know, the closing of blinds was really scary to me. Mm-hmm. Irrationally so, right? On the, on the outside. But then when you kind of understand things that have happened to you and you integrate that and it makes sense, mm-hmm. then you go, oh, well, of course. And then over time, they just have less power. Like it just doesn't get, I don't get triggered by blinds like I used to because- Trauma's gotten plenty of airtime and I've had a lot of love and support, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, I was reading a book a couple of years ago and this metaphor came out, I guess it was a metaphor. It was actually just a situation where this doctor was walking down the street, saw someone get hit by a car and then immediately they kind of like started seizing a little bit and mm. moving through. Mm. And then this doctor started doing research and showed that when people are able to be impacted by a trauma and then the energy is discharged from their body, yeah, the results are way more positive than someone that maybe gets hit immediately hit with a tranquilizer yeah. or some sort of pain relief medication, maybe takes chronic pain relief medication and yeah. never gets therapy or yeah. PT or any sort of rehabilitation. And that just kind of lives in our nervous system. Yeah. And I used to think, especially when I was in school coming out, because you read a little bit about my undergrad, which was very heavily um, empirically researched um, genetic work on RNA viruses and kind of just, nitty gritty black and white stuff. Yeah. And I used to think that that stuff was like really woo woo out there. Like all oh, stuff lives in our nervous systems. Yeah, I'd go okay. to yoga classes and people would be like, Oh, all your emotions are stored in your hips. That right. just, it didn't really jive with me. Right. But I also wasn't really in the therapy space and I wasn't doing my own therapy. I started going into my own therapy and then becoming a counselor and actually realizing through this work, that the reality and the truth of that, it's almost it's like a complete uh, 180 that I've that I've done in my my interpretation of how we operate as humans. Yeah. So. And the combination is great, though. N- knowing some of that empirical stuff, and then having personal experience and other pieces with the, for lack of a better word, the metaphysical world and other yes. pieces is is kind of essential, right? Like, um, 
it always seems like think we, we put things out there like you have to choose, like right? Like we're either it like, is, buy yeah. the book or we're woo-woo. Right. You know, <laughs> uh, it's, you're Republican, you're Democrat, you're this, yeah. you're that. We live in a very dualistic society and uh, much to the, our detriment, in my mm-hmm. opinion, because we start to really think that there is this other that isn't connected to us. You know, if somebody votes a certain way, I can't even look at them. I can't even have a conversation with them. Um, and I find that sad. I find it really, really sad because we, we, look, we, we miss out on so much of the interconnectivity. And, you know, I do believe we're all one, you know, in a yeah. bizarre way. We're all our own separate beings and all these other pieces, but we're all one at the same time. And so um, how I treat you or, or alienate you is how I'm going to treat or alienate myself or my, how my thinking judges somebody else is, is in direct proportion to how I'm going to judge the parts of myself that I don't like as much. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's just an interesting thing, you know? Well, it's like everything that you tend to suppress or kind of like focus on in that way. Like, let's say you push away that person that has a certain ideology. Really that just represents a part of yourself that you haven't dealt with. You know, so to use my example, again, like I was in this situation where everything had to be explained by evolutionary mechanisms, by research. If the research didn't say it, it wasn't true. But really what that represented was there was a spiritual kind of like metaphysical part of me that I had not dealt with and that I was unwilling to explore because Mm. it was so painful. Mm. And so my first reaction, of course, then is to push away everyone else Mm -hmm. that operates in that, Mm -hmm. that realm. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I feel like in the path of kind of becoming becoming a counselor, becoming older, becoming an adult, and now even having a child, you start to see that um, there is no way to live in a binary. It has to be very, there has to be an amalgam of how you're operating in the world. Otherwise, you're just chaos. Yeah, That's yeah. That's fun. Split. You're split, really, you know? Yeah. 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 But you had said... Um, you were talking a little bit about ketamine and who we're specifically looking at or, or how yeah, we're doing I mean, it. like who's, who's a good candidate. Who's not a good candidate. Yeah. Um, it's got a really safe profile. And again, I'll just kind of put in there. I'm not a doctor. Uh, we do have a pretty profound medical team, um, that we're working with right now. So we, we do screen people medically to make sure that they're fit. There's very few rule outs, uh, unless you have untreated hypertension. Um, or significant psychoses. But other than that, um, for the most part, it's pretty safe. And for the most part, most people will benefit from it. And I say most a lot because, you know, there are um, a select few that that take it and, and the medicine doesn't really work with them or maybe they're not ready for it. You know, there's kind of the age and stage that I like to think of with people with psychedelics. You know, if you're very young and taking it, it might be too chaotic. If you're... Um, if you're in a really hard place, you've just experienced trauma, it's probably not the right time for you. If you're trying to make a life decision and have uh, your decision by tomorrow and take ketamine today, that's probably not a good mm-hmm. uh, formula either. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, people I think that are settled, people that are willing to do the work because it is a lot of work when we bring people in, um, especially if, if individuals are coming from recovery and I don't, I don't think that when you do ketamine or other psychedelics that you're out of recovery, but that's a whole nother echelon of of thinking about, okay, the intention that I want to take when I take this substance and what's it going to do for me? Um, How can I incorporate this action with my belief system in terms of being in recovery? 
Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff to sort through and a lot of work to go through before you even take the medicine. And mm -hmm. that's why we do so much prep mm -hmm. work beforehand, you know, up to two or three prep sessions mm -hmm. we can do before someone actually even takes the medication with, mm -hmm. a, mm -hmm. with our providers. Um, and then the integration work. So we offer integration in between each session. Um, you know, so we have kind of this sandwich of, of work, you know, like I said, we do give a workbook. We, I don't want to say we expect people to do it like homework, but we do expect that when people come in, that they're going to put a lot of emphasis and intention on it. And ideally someone's not doing a, a lot in their uh, daily life, you know? So what I mean by that would be you come in and you take it during the day and then you have the rest of the day off to kind of incorporate mm -hmm. the experience. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not working 80 hours a week. You've got time to, mm -hmm. to really take it in and work with it. Mm -hmm. Um, and that would be the ideal candidate. I think someone that is humble and hopefully not coming in order to get it and then think that everything's going to be okay. Cause mm. the integration process can be months or years. And like I said, ketamine's not for everyone. Um, and it also is not going to fix every single problem. Right. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And being done in conjunction with other work and other recovery work and moving forward and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and also people who get, you know, just get sober, it's highly recommended a period of time exists between that and, uh, sorry, my phone just rang there. He's a popular it was man. May, it was May. That was, you know, sorry, May, you'll oh. know that I didn't pick up cause we're talking to Nick. <laughs> you got um, proof. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think that there is great fear in that. And, and, and you know, we want to emphasize that we are very conscious and deliberate, right, about the way that we do this. Mm -hmm. And um, and it's neither like a reward or it's, it's, it's this idea that if this can be a useful tool in your development and in your own realm of thinking and in your own realm of existence, then, yes, let's use it for that tool alongside everything else, right? It's mm -hmm. kind of like... I'll throw another analogy out there. It's like using supplements, right? You can use a bunch of supplements that help you gain muscle and that might, you know, tone your body better and help burn fat or do other things. But if you don't eat properly and you don't actually use those muscles, they're not going to grow. They're not going right. to grow on their own, right? Yeah. So, you know, I see it as the medicine can be really helpful to kind of you know, give us some space and clear things out, but it's, it's absolutely imperative that we integrate the experience. It's absolutely imperative that we continue doing this work. And um, it's not about... I'm going to take this and I'm always going to feel good. Like spoiler alert, anybody out there, there is no such thing. I've looked for all of it. Believe me. Like yes. I've, I've saw <laughs> that life is challenging. It's supposed to be challenging in my mm -hmm. opinion. And, uh, but, but suffering, suffering to the degree that we do doesn't need to be happening either. You know, mm -hmm. people don't need to be living with this belief that there's fundamentally something wrong with them and they're damaged and that they can't be okay. Mm -hmm. um, it's a horrible way to live. And I've been there myself and, and you have too. And when you have that contrast over time, um, it's, it's pretty amazing. The work is worth it is what I'm trying to say. The yeah. work is worth it and continuing to do that. And, the, um, you know, if you're in 12 step programs, working those steps, you know, doing those things. If you're in other pieces of you know, holistic psychology, anything, mm -hmm. you continue with the work that you're doing because it deepens the experience that that much more. But it's not an elixir. It's not the kind of thing that's going to work just in a vacuum and like good, boom, one and done. And in our right. society, it's hard for people to understand that because we prescribe pills for everything, right? And, um, you know, in my opinion, it's just, it helps us get back to a more natural state of who we are and we can build upon that and clear out some of the things that don't fit, but, but it takes work. 
It takes work and it takes continuing to put our you know, best foot forward. It takes learning how to deal with our uncomfortable feelings and, you know, digest them and be able to work with them. You know, it's not about avoiding all of that. And it's in a weird way, it's not really even about the experience. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the experience is great. You know, that that's something, but that's, that's a finite period of time where something happens. It's what happens afterwards in the ways that we integrate and the expansiveness of our mind, in my opinion, that is most interesting. Yeah, yeah I would agree with that. Um, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, the, the two hours that you're under taking this medication each week um, pales in comparison to, again, like the amount of work or thought or um, integration that you're going to have to do on the backside. One of the other things about ketamine is nice is you know, you're talking a lot about the work. We're talking a lot about like just doing all of these things outside of the experience, but also within the experience, um, the biological factors that are changing in the brain as a result of ketamine are, are pretty profound, you know? So what they're looking at is kind of this upregulation of AMP, um, being hit by glutamate. And so what that does is that creates kind of this, uh, synaptogenic, process, right? So even if you take ketamine just by itself, you know, the medication is changing the way that your brain is uh, reacting to certain things. It's changing the connectivity within it. Um, and so, you know, I like to put the emphasis on the work and at the same time, we have a great benefit of taking a medication that, that has proven effects on the body and the brain. Yeah. And I think helps people work through things faster, Right. Faster, like instead of yeah. just years and years of mulling over the same thing, you know, it gives an opportunity to get unstuck a whole lot faster. Very, very cool. For most people. Yeah. yeah. For most people, I would say, you know, I was thinking again on my way in kind of just formulating um, how I'm thinking about the work so far and, and thinking about what it's like to maybe go into a 12 step meeting or go into um, a class at school or, or, you pick up a tiny nugget of knowledge, you know, from someone that may have experienced a lot or have wisdom or, or give you something. And sometimes it's one quote or one piece of knowledge that you get in those experiences. And that can change your whole day, but sometimes that can change your whole life, mm. you know? And so I think about it like this too, is you get this tiny perspective change. And from there, you have no idea uh, where you'll go or how it will affect your life. Mm. Um so yeah, I think the perspective is everything. And then mm. again, like you're saying, like the, the way that we, we wrap the experience up in order to get the most juice yeah. Yeah. out of it. How did you become an avid bird watcher? Is this Benson's childhood? Is this uh, <laughs> new? Is this? Um, I had a friend, Ryan, uh, when I was in my undergrad and we used to go to Moab in the summer times, so we'd take these big road trips to Utah and we'd hear all these birds that we didn't really hear in Colorado. And I found out the one of his secrets because he was uh, a big bird nerd was that he was actually part of. <laughs> Is that um, a thing? Bird nerds? That's like, a no, whole... I just made that. I up. like Is it. it it's like it. Yeah. I might have to get, I'm going to get you a hat. That's okay. okay. I would wear it. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, we would hear all these birds and he was like, oh, I know what this is and this is and this is. And he got me into bird watching in probably like 2014. Mm. Uh, and then since then I bought my bird book. I got myself a nice pair of binoculars and then uh, I just started going out and scouting. Well, I uh, I saw you out with a group of our clients one time. Yeah. I think it happened multiple times, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> with binoculars and out looking at birds. You've actually done groups with this, haven't you? Yeah, I used to run a... Um, 
kind of like an outdoor wilderness group during the the summer months and spring months where we would go out and we would try to find the local birds, the migratory birds, um, the birds in season, if you will. And uh, yeah, a company provided a bunch of binoculars and we'd go out with uh, our book and they actually have apps on your phone now that you can use to call oh, birds. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, oh, to know, call them? You can call them, you can identify them. Um, yeah, so we would go out and look and I think there's there's kind of something to, not to be too like... Uh, it's too late. Yeah. Well, you're out. We're, we're, we're already woo wooed other people. I so. think there's something to like aiming, yeah. like literally aiming your sight at something yes. and then just being captivated by it. And so there's kind of this, uh, this metaphor for, you know, like looking at something and seeing its beauty and it being so finite and so, um, so small. You kind of have to be present to see a bird. Totally. Yeah. Like you can see one go by, but if you're going to look at one and look for one, yeah. What happens, right? We get quiet. Yeah. A little bit more still. All your senses are engaged. All the senses are engaged. We're listening. We're breathing. Yeah. And then we see this bird and there's almost like, <gasps> yeah. like, it takes your breath away because it's like, wow, look at it. Like when you really look at a bird, you know, there's beautiful ones and rare ones and all that, but even any birds, it takes a, it takes a level of presence to be there with the bird. Yeah. I, some people just turned off their things. <laughs> They're like, be there with the bird. They're, All right, I've had enough. <laughs> you're talking about ketamine. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's related in a sense of, I guess, in that uh, hopefully over the course of time, psychedelics helps people be more present in their day-to-day life. Yeah. Not living with past trauma, not living in constant fear of the future, not dealing, not living in a state of fear and stuckness. Mm-hmm. I think those are some of the benefits that come from the proper use of psychedelics. Yeah. I mean, kind of coming back to that default mode network, I could imagine coming in this room, which there's only a certain amount of paintings and the room is, you know, semi smaller and there's only a certain amount of things you could actually look at and experience. Mm-hmm. And yet I feel like if you were fully present and your default mode network was in a very calm place, you could be in this room and be fully present for days. Yeah. You I could, think you could, experienced the room yeah. as a whole without just, oh, there's that picture, there's that, and now I'm looking at something different. I'm feeling the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I'm experiencing the entire thing, which is kind of a, I don't live there most of the time, yeah but there's moments, right, I can think of, like um, when you're in a great cathedral, when you're in an amazing cathedral, there's something about it that it kind of encompasses you. yeah You become within the sacred space, you become one with the space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's a mini taste of what psychedelics can help people get to, is this sort of sense of an experience with being present while on the substance, right? Like, a, whoa, okay, I'm actually just experiencing this. Or my this automatic is- thinking and my compulsive thinking has gone away because it's all been shuffled up. Yeah. And, uh, and that's good practice. That's actually really good practice. And it takes sometimes a big experience of something like that in order to start incorporating it in different ways, you know? Yeah, I think about like the the mindless um, substance use or even like eating, right? Like we sit in front of the TV and maybe we, we use substance or we eat and we just kind of like phase out and look at this thing uh, versus, you know, 
bringing intentionality to anything we put in our body can radically change the experience. Mm. You know, if we ate with our eyes closed Mm -hmm. and really savored every single bite, Mm -hmm. how different would that be? Mm -hmm. If I took 30 seconds to bless my coffee before Mm -hmm. I took it in and really experienced the effects rather Mm -hmm. than just taking it in order to write a paper really quick, Mm -hmm. how different would that be? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's kind of the intentionality we like to bring to the substance, but also to the life, right? Is there's no way you're going to get around being fully present in ketamine. It's Mm -hmm. just not going to happen. You Mm -hmm. have to be there. Your whole body's engaged. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, like you said, hopefully that's planting a seed to say like, Oh, can I slow down and just look at the texture on the wall? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. can I treat this person like I treat myself? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I think this is going to be part one of many. Okay. Yeah. So this is ketamine. This is ketamine psychedelic therapy part one with Nick. We're going to have many others. I try to keep my podcast around 30 minutes to 40 because I like people to be able to like wash dishes, do a couple of different things while they're doing it and, or a drive, right. If they're listening and, and they're driving. Um, you don't want to be like the Joe Rogan five hours. Well, I just, I would <laughs> no, actually that's a lot. I would love to be the Joe Rogan with five hours, but, um, right now we're, 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 we're building an audience. And so I, I want to keep people engaged, but what, what about psychedelics? What about how we use them at aim health? What, what have we left out that you want to talk a little bit about before we close? Well, we have kind of this quote on, uh, on the book that we give people, it just says you're in great hands. And so the intention behind putting that on there was um, to help people realize that even in your darkest depths, if you're if you're chronically depressed or or spiritually seeking something, that um, we have a really awesome community, and that's part of why I've I've been here and stuck around so long is is because you are in great hands. We have a full open basket for you to come, and we will do our best to meet you where you're at, to give you what you need, to challenge you enough, but not to push you away. Um, and, and so I think just just emphasizing the, the love that this company has and the love that we're offering people. And by us opening the store of psychedelics, it's another way of us sharing that with the community. Oh, that's beautiful. I really appreciate that. And I agree with you. Oh, really quickly. Mm-hmm. What's it like being a dad? You're a new dad. Oh man. <laughs> Where to go from here? I tried to warn I always try to like all the younger guys, you know. I was trying to I always try to leave a couple things like but the, the but I think the last thing I always say to people when they're expecting it is like, no matter what I say, it's gonna be a much different experience than that. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean Is there a way to even explain it before you experience not, like, it? There's you, there's a couple other dads that we've had um that I've picked their brains and other uh, other parents. Uh, that we work with, I'd say, you know, what can I expect? Blah, blah, blah. And there was a part of me that actually was really skeptical. I was like, oh, you're just, you're overemphasizing something or you're, you're blowing it out of proportion, but it is real. Um, the intensity, the work, uh, the amount of, of effort, but also I think it's, it's life-changing in a way that's indescribable. And uh, now he's three months old, and so he's able to kind of interact a little bit more, and he's, he's becoming more aware now, isn't he? Yeah, he's yeah. able to self soothe a little bit more too. Yeah. So there's there's a lot more play, and I yeah. really I really appreciate that aspect of it. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to bring him bird watching and just teach him. What's his name? Things. Uh, his name's Jameson. Jameson. One yeah. of my best friends is named Jameson. Um, that's awesome. And how's the new family? You guys doing all right? Yeah, we're doing well. My okay. wife had the uh, opportunity to take off until January. Yeah, okay. So she's a teacher here in Boulder, actually. So she's off till then. So we've got a lot of time at home to to just kind of hang out with him and, Good. and 
get that bond going early. That's awesome. Well, yeah. congratulations. Thank you. Appreciate and congratulations that. on the launching of the psychedelic program. Anyway, it's been a long time coming and yeah. a lot of work that you've put into it. Um, thrilled that you're heading that up for us. Um, I appreciate having somebody the that's grounded in, in research and integrity and, um, like I say, with everybody walking the walk, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think that's the most important thing. And so we feel really lucky to have you. You'll be in real good hands. You want to learn a little bit more about psychedelic treatment. Uh, you do not have to be an AIM house client or another client. We mm -hmm. offer that on an outpatient basis. We do. Um, feel free, or if you're a therapist listening and you want to refer a patient, feel free mm -hmm. to give us a call over here at AIM Health and uh, look at setting that up. And we'll work with you and your client on the, on the progression. But we are very excited about... Um, the offering of ketamine and uh, probably in the distant future being looking at some uh, some other types of retreats involving psilocybin and, and uh, as that becomes fully clear on what the guidelines are with the state and uh, and all that but uh, yeah we're we're really excited about it and um, really grateful that you're here and really grateful that that we're moving in this direction and uh, thanks for taking the time to come in and chat with us today of course thanks Danny and yeah. Um, yeah newsletter everything will be out on the website um i'm open to emails and yeah looking forward to anyone that's you check interested. that out at aimboulder.com and click on aim health and you'll come on down there and you'll see it um want to thank made life this show is brought to you by made life here at the made life studios go made life go as made megan life. likes to say thank you megan and uh we're happy to be here and we'll get, we'll bring Nick on again at another time. And uh, if you have any questions or want to reach out to Nick, Nick's what's best email to reach you at. It's pretty simple. I got hooked up. It's just Nick and I C K at Boulder IOP.com. Nick at Boulder IOP.com. Thanks for taking the time to come in here and uh, we'll do it again soon. Okay. Thanks Danny. All right. Thanks everybody for listening to the I can't help you podcast. Please subscribe. We can be found on Spotify um, and uh, some of your other useful places you listen to your podcast. We appreciate you listening very, very much. If you ever want to reach me, you can at Danny at madelife.com. Look forward to our next time together. Thanks for tuning in everybody.